So after the 815 service, uh, I had someone come up to me and said, um, you know, you're trying to prepare us for Pledge Sunday next week, um, get people ready for that. Um, it was a good sermon, but you know what you should do instead, which is always a great thing as a pastor when people are like, you know what you should do instead? We, we welcome those comments after every sermon. Come tell us what, what we should do instead. This person goes, just say 49 to nothing. You feel good? Give your money. <laughs> so for the rest of us, uh, well, for those of you who actually were joining us via our live stream, we have people all over the country who worship with us now and all over the world who worship with you. That's the store of the Texas-Oklahoma game yesterday, which in these parts is a very big deal. Um, and so if you are somebody that the news can't get better than that, just don't listen to the rest and fill out your pledge card now. <laughs> or pledge online. For the rest of us, we're going to investigate some scripture uh, a little bit together. Uh, and what we're going to be talking about today, and this is somewhat related, uh, is the theme of gratitude, of thanksgiving. Um, this is our lectionary uh, text for today. But, but what I want us to do when we think about something like gratitude, when we think about something like thanksgiving, um, this is a theme that probably a lot of us have thought about at some level before, right? So just so that we're clear about this uh, and, and the dangers of it, uh, let, let's do a little quick survey. If you have thought about Thanksgiving or gratitude, if this is the theme that you've heard about before, maybe done a Bible study on it, maybe you've heard a sermon about it, maybe celebrated a national holiday about it, if this is a concept that you're not going, gratitude, I don't know, I've never heard of this before, just raise your hand. Thank you. If your hand's not up, you're too cool to play in the game, right? Like, you have thought about it. This is something that all of us do. This is something we've heard about before. Some of us uh, might go, I've got like my two favorite scripture verses on gratitude, and, and that's great, and that's wonderful, but there's something that can happen that's dangerous when we hit something familiar. This week, I, I, I read about a, a survey that was fascinating. It was a study actually conducted uh, by two universities, Cornell and Tulane. And they took 100 people from their home, and they asked them to rate themselves on a scale of 1 to 7, 7 being the highest, 1 being the lowest, about how they think of themselves in terms of their financial literacy. How much do you know about money? How much do you know about concepts of money? And so if you were maybe someone that teaches at the Macomb School or teaches uh, economics or uh, somebody who is a financial planner, you're like, well, this is my world, economics. Like, I'm a seven, like, or I'm a six or a seven. That's what I am. If you're a pastor, you're a one, right? <laughs> um, actually, the ones don't even accept pastors. They're like, you're below us. Like, you guys just so, so, but how would you think about that? How would you rate yourself? And then after each person of this hundred answering questions from home rated themselves on their financial literacy on a one to seven scale, they then had, were given 13 terms, which we're going to bring up on the screen here. And these 13 terms, uh, they were then asked to rate their ability to both understand and teach each one of these terms, each of these 13 terms. How well do you feel you're able to do that? So, for example, tax brackets, number one. How much do you understand about that? And could you explain what tax brackets are to someone else? If you feel confident, you do a seven. So all 13 of these, and you know, you might see how you would feel about it. Um, 
You rated yourself one to seven. The problem was that three of the terms are made up. <laughs> They're not real. They don't exist. They're nonsensical. The three terms, I had to write them down because I, I wasn't certain. <laughs> Annualized credit, not a thing, not a thing. Fixed rate deductions don't exist. They're not a thing. Pre-rated stocks. What was interesting was of the 100 people surveyed, how many of them felt confident that they both understood and could teach others about these terms, these three terms that aren't real. What was more interesting on top of that was that the people who gave themselves a six or seven on the financial literacy were the most likely to say, I understand and can teach these concepts that are not real things. What the study was showing is that there is a danger when we think we're familiar with something. There's a danger when we think we've heard something before. Because what we do as human beings is we create a narrative about ourselves that, oh, I'm, I'm good at this, this is what I do, or I've studied this before, this is what I know, or I've got my favorite scripture verses on this, maybe the one we're about to read you've studied before, I kind of got this one. And that you will choose to believe and reinforce that narrative and miss the obvious thing right in front of you because you need to believe the narrative so much. You see that? So if your hand was up, or if it should have been up because you were too cool to raise your hand in church, and the term of gratitude and thanksgiving is something that you've heard about before, maybe you've studied this scripture passage before, maybe you've heard a sermon about it before, maybe you've celebrated a national holiday about it before, don't think you've heard it all. Because the scripture passage, we read it today, literally can change our lives. And the people that might be most dangerous in terms of missing it are the ones who've heard it before. With that in mind, let's look at Luke 17, our lectionary text, gospel text from today, verses 11 through 19. This is what it says. On the way to Jerusalem, Jesus was going through the region between Samaria and Galilee. As he entered a village, ten lepers approached him. Keeping their distance, they called out, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were made clean. Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice. He prostrated himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan. Then Jesus asked, were not ten made clean? But the other nine, where are they? Was none of them found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, get up and go on your way. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that no matter who we are or how we gather and worship today, we would experience your gospel, your good news, and it would change us forever. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. So to be clear, in these eight verses, there are two, at least two, bona fide miracles that take place. 
both of which are important for us to see and to acknowledge. The first miracle that takes place is that 10 lepers were cleansed and healed, the scripture says, of this disease. Now, leprosy uh, is one of the most horrible diseases that the world has ever known. It's a disease that was certainly one of the most horrible uh, in the New Testament times when it was written. It was a disease that uh, physically uh, was, was deforming, and it was a disease uh, that eventually would kill you, but it took uh, often a long, long time. But it was also a disease that was cruel because it made you an outcast from society. Lepers were, were kicked out of society. They were ignored most of the time by their family. They were ignored by their friends. They were isolated. They were uh, sent away. They were other. They were the thems who were not allowed to interact with the rest of decent society. There was a good chance that when Jesus encountered these 10 lepers, the reason they were together is nobody else would interact with them. No one else would speak to them. No one else would talk to them. No one else would get near them. In fact, there's a good chance that when Jesus encountered them, Jesus' disciples may have been horrified by that, moving away from them, uh, not believing that this is taking place. And so, yeah, one of the things about the miracles is that they are healed of their leprosy, but let's not pass over the other parts of that miracle, is that Jesus doesn't run from them. He listens to them. He engages them. He speaks to them. He acknowledges their pain. And he heals and meets them in their place of need. I want you to think about that again. It's not just that they're healed, but they're seen, they're heard, they're acknowledged, they're met where they are, and they are cleansed of this disease. It's worth thinking about in our lives how God has done that for us. How God, in many ways over the years, and I know none of our lives are perfect. I know my life isn't perfect either. But if you stop and think about it, how many times God has heard us, has seen us, has listened to us, has engaged us in our needs, has answered our prayers, has healed us and given us second chances and third chances in different ways. And it's as amazing as human beings how quickly we move on from this kind of miracle and make it ordinary. It's, quick, it's amazing how fast we move forward from miracles and don't just sit in the blessing, isn't it? Think about this idea. Even before we get to the healing, the idea that for these lepers, but the idea for us that God, the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, from everlasting to everlasting, the one that the scriptures say places the stars in the sky, sets the planets in motion, the giver of life, the one who has all power, that that God listens to you. That that God listens to me. That that God who is that big and that vast and that powerful listens to these lepers cares about what's going on in their life. Isn't it, before we even get to healing, isn't it incredible how we as human beings take the miracle of that idea and make it ordinary? Like, oh, we're going to open the meeting with prayer and then we move on to this and like, don't get, oh, last week you prayed a long time. It's like four minutes. I timed it on my watch. It should be three minutes because that, we're talking to the creator of the universe. Is anybody, every time we pray, we should be going like, wow! 
He set the stars in the sky, the planets in motion, the creator of life. He's listening to me right now. I was going to open the meeting. The agenda is opening prayer. And who wants to do that? And everyone's like, you know, it's like how quickly we take the miraculous and it's just like ordinary. You see, like it's, it's incredible. And, and then God healed. How has God done this in your life? How, how is it that God has shown up in your story in what you think and, and listened to you and cared about you and, and acknowledged you and, and created healing and new chances in your life and in your journey? And how quickly we just move on. How quickly that becomes old news. How quickly we just start paying attention to something else and paying attention to our other needs. How has God shown up in your life? And not only has God shown up in your life, what are the things that make it hard to stay in the blessing? I heard a story that's amazingly convicting. It's, it was really hard. Um, it was hard for me to engage. Do you want to hear it? <laughs> of course you do. Um, because I need to sit in this pain with you for a little while and in this conviction. But it's about how we take God's blessings and just move past the miracles so naturally. Some of what can cause that. Uh, when I read it, it, was a, it said it was an ancient Jewish parable. But what this parable said is that God looked down and found favor with an individual, a man. And that God then sent an angel to that man saying, uh, you have found favor with God. And so what God is going to do is to give you three wishes. But whatever you wish for, is going to be done double to your neighbor. And the man goes, that's amazing. Anything I wish for, God's going to do. He said, yeah, that's anything you wish for. God, you found favor with God. How incredible. This is, a, this is a miracle. This is great. He said, the first thing that I want to wish for then is that my family and I have been having a hard time making ends meet. Uh, our, our fields aren't as fallow as we would like. And so what I'd first wish for is 100 extra acres that I can, that I can farm of fallow ground so that we have more uh, materials in my family. And the angel says, it's done. 100 acres. It's done. And so the guy goes out and there are 100 extra acres that is his and it's good land. It's great farming land. So he's able to put more seeds in and, and, and months later he's able to reap a harvest that, that he, before the angel came he couldn't have dreamed of before. And so he gathers that harvest up and he goes into the town to sell it about to make more money than he had conceived was possible before the angel showed up. And it was joyful heart that he goes in and he starts selling and it was all great until he heard about his neighbor who was setting a record because had 200 acres that he was reaping. And quickly the man began to move from a place of gratitude and joy to a place of comparing himself and jealousy. So he goes back to the angel a second time. And he says, uh, you know, I'm, it was too materialistic. God, God wants me thinking about relationships. And so obviously that was wrong. And so my second wish is that my wife and I haven't been able to have a child. I think that that relation, that, that family would mean everything. And so uh, could we, could, would you grant us a child? Nine months later, his wife miraculously gives birth to a healthy child. The man and his wife are overjoyed. He says, I'm going to go to the temple and I'm going to go into the town and worship God and give thanks to God for this miracle that God's given to our family. And he goes in and he begins worshiping and his joy is complete until he turns around and sees his neighbor giving thanks to God for his twins. 
And so he goes back to the angel a third time and says, for my final wish, I'd like you to make me blind in one eye. I'm going to be serious with you for a second. I, I, I don't find that funny. I'd like you to make me blind in one eye. But make sure you do double to my neighbor what you've done to me. And the angel says, why in the world? Why in the world would you do that? The man says... Because I haven't found peace with having more stuff and I haven't had peace by having a child. Maybe the only way to find peace is for my neighbor who's been so unjustly blessed to not be able to see the blessings that you've given him. What makes it hard for you to sit in the blessings of what God's given you? Because I'm almost embarrassed at how that parable can describe me at times. What makes it that we take the ordinary blessings, miracles that what God has given to us, and what makes it that we just quickly move on and lose track of those blessings and they become ordinary and normal? And we just move on to what someone else has or what we need next. I wonder if Luke, who and he wrote this gospel, had tracked with those nine lepers that just moved on with their lives. Because what we like to think is that the movie credits come up and the lepers just lived happily ever after. But I'm not certain that's real life, is it? I wonder how long when they got back to their families and realized that things had happened while they were gone, that their brother had been blessed and had a family and a career that they weren't able to have. I wonder what happened when they realized that the person they thought they were going to marry had left and married somebody else. I wonder what would happen when they realized that a parent potentially had passed away and they hadn't even known and had been allowed to be there to celebrate. I wonder how quickly the joy that they felt in that moment became, God, what next and why this? What is it that makes us move past the miracles God does in our life? And that leads to the second miracle. The second miracle is that one of the ten lepers does something differently. The second miracle is that one of them stops and turns back and chooses to sit in the blessing. One of them turns back and just says, I want to acknowledge the God who has healed me of this disease. And that miracle is then found in last verse, verse 19, when he says, when Jesus says to this man who comes back and praises God and gives thanks to God, shows gratitude to God, stays in the moment, stays in the blessing, stays paying attention to it, that Jesus says to him, friend, your faith, look at these words in your scripture, this faith, your faith has made you well. Now, you can read that and go, well, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, they had, they had uh, uh, leprosy and they were healed of leprosy. And it's like, yeah, that was to all 10. The language in the Greek is very deliberate here. It's saying all ten were healed. What happens to this one is something different. It's something that's internal about their heart, their soul. It's something about their state of being. And it says that something that has been broken in them is made well. Other translations of the Bible, one of our staff members uh, talked about in staff meeting this week, said that you've been made whole. Isn't that beautiful? 
Isn't that an amazing way to think about what can happen when you sit in this miracle, when you sit and say, I want to give thanks to God, something inside of us, it's not just the miracle that changes our circumstances, but something in us is changed. Something in us is made well. Something in us, friends, is made whole by the practicing of gratitude. Now, we don't know all that that meant for this individual, but we get a glimpse. Even science gives us a glimpse of this. There's a little institution called Harvard you may have heard of. I don't think they could beat Oklahoma in football, but they are good at other things, right? Everybody's good at something. And so they are good at other things. And one of the things Harvard is good at is they have a medical school that's there. And they happen to know quite a lot and studied a lot about human beings and health. And so recently, Harvard released a study that they had done over many years about the practice of gratitude and what it changes about us, what it, what it heals in us, what difference does it make. And they were looking for men and women who over time have deliberate practices almost on a daily basis of choosing gratitude, of living like the one. Like if you had surveyed the other nine and said, are you grateful that Jesus healed you of leprosy? I'm sure they'd be like, yeah, 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 I'm grateful. I'm so excited. I'm going to go on with my life. What Harvard was doing is saying, what, is it, what difference does it make scientifically to be the one versus the nine? To stop and deliberately practice gratitude. What does it change? The conclusion, first sentence starts with this. In psychology research, gratitude is strongly and consistently associated with greater happiness. Gratitude helps people feel more positive emotions, relish good experiences, improve their health, deal with adversity, and build strong relationships. Basically, it improves everything, everything in your life. You're happier, you have better relationships, you're more resilient, you have more deeper and more powerful experiences. It's like spiritually, emotionally, mentally, physically, Everything gets better. There's something that is healed in us. We are made whole in a way when we do what this leper does, which is to turn back and acknowledge and sit in it and not just move on. And that leads us to the last thing I want to say about this passage. It's so important and so good, is that gratitude we see in this one. Thanksgiving is not a feeling but it's an action. One of the things that we've done in our culture is we've taken biblical verbs and, trans, and, and changed them to adjectives. You see that a lot of times with love, right? Oh, I feel in love. Oh, it's great to feel in love. It is great to feel in love. It's a great thing. But love, biblically, in its purest form, is not a feeling. It's, a, it's an action. Love, as Bob Goff writes, love does. We've talked about this before. And it's an action of serving. Uh, and so we've changed that into a feeling, but it, it's, root, it's, an, it's an action, it's a verb. Gratitude is the same. It's not about feeling, uh, I feel grateful today. That's great, I bet the other nine felt grateful. But gratitude in its deepest, purest, most transformative ways is actually an action. Gratitude is a verb here. And this one doesn't just feel grateful, but puts it into action, stops, turns around, goes back. That's why the holiday of Thanksgiving for many of us is such a, uh, an important and powerful time because we don't just sit there and go, yeah, yeah, I'm grateful. I got a busy day today. But our normal lives stop. We gather. We change our rhythms. We, we, we think about the blessings that we have in our life. And something in us is made whole, is made well when we do that. I don't think it's too much of a jump this week as we close 
to say that there's a beauty to this being the liturgical verse that leads us into Pledge Sunday next week. Because it's worth stopping and thinking about when you look at what you have, when we look at, at what we possess, as we look at our money, as we look at our stuff, for each and every one of us here to realize how this scripture passage is true, that God has met us, God has provided for us, God has healed us, God has listened to us in our needs. Don't pass over the miracle of that. This week I've been thinking in my life of all of the things that controlled me being here at this church, uh, having and doing the things I do, almost all of the significant things I was not in control of. Being born, for example. That was a critical moment. I didn't earn that. I didn't deserve that. How about being born in this time in history? How about not just being born at this time in history, but being born in this country, where there are economic opportunities, for example, that the most of the rest of the world and almost all of human history has never known before? How about the fact that I was born into a family that valued education, a parents that read to me, that we were able to live in school districts of really good schools where I had great teachers? I didn't earn that. I didn't deserve that. I wasn't like, do you see what I mean by that? I've had mentors and teachers that have come into our life. Alan Hilton, who was with us last week, is not a national figure that I would have loved to work with. Do you know how we got to work with him? Do you know how my life intersected with Alan's a strategic thing and this courageous conversation? Alan's doing this at a huge level. I would have had no idea how to get in touch with him before. You know what happened? We sat next to each other at a wedding reception. I didn't know he was there. My wife was starting to talk to him, and she's like, hey, you want to talk to this? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm good. I'm talking to these people. Because, you know, I'm a Jesus follower, and that's the kind heart I want to have. Right? I was like, no, I'm talking to these people. And she's like, no, this is the guy you've been talking about. He's sitting right here. <laughs> so all of the things that come from that and all of the courageous conversations and things we're doing, it started because God goes, here you go. And then we're like, well, here's my strategy, and here's what we're going to do. And the Lord's going, no, I authored this. You weren't in control of it, this thing. And if you were last week going, oh, I don't like this, argue with God. <laughs> God made it happen. I was not in control. How about you? What are the things in your life that have brought you to the place that you are? And as one of my friends said, and as we've talked about before, the, the, the importance of this, the, of gratitude, is realizing that when you're standing on third base, it doesn't necessarily mean you hit a triple. We've been blessed. By a loving God, by a God who loves us, who's active, that listens to us, who cares. And let's be like the one. Let's not just kind of pass on and, and go on with what else we need and what else is going to happen and what God's done for someone else. But, but let's stop. And let's come back in here not going, what does the Bible say about giving and what are the laws and what are the rules and what do I got to do? What, what if we came back in here and say, I'm going to practice gratitude. I'm going to practice gratitude with the God who has given me everything. Not only would we have a healthy budget going forward, but what the Bible says is that something in each one of us will be made well. Imagine what that might mean. Imagine what that might mean for you. Let's pray. Lord, we do pray that you would lead us, guide us, be with us. Make us mindful of the many blessings we have. And lead us in what a practice of gratitude might look like in the days ahead. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.